Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you for uh, giving us this Shabbat and allowing us to gather together as Mishpachah's family in your presence. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will reveal yourself more now than we've ever experienced before. And Father, that you will express your love in ways that we have never been able to imagine. I pray that you open our hearts to receive from you, that you humble us, Lord, in your presence, that we may be able to receive the word that you have in store, the work you have in restore of restoration in our lives. And Father, that you will draw us closer and closer to you. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to share. I pray that you speak through me, that it be your words heard, your words received, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose on this day. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, this week is Parsha uh, Matot Masay. Uh, it's a double Parshot, the final two Parshot of the book of Numbers. Um, I am actually going to mix things up a little bit. I'm going to do something I don't do very often. The Lord, uh, I, I believe, has put uh, what I believe is a very timely and important message on my heart. So we're going to be speaking mostly this morning out of the Haftarah rather than the Torah Parsha, right? So go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll pick up, we'll deal with it in just a moment. But uh, I'm going to be speaking mostly out of the, the Haftor and focusing on that this morning. Um, for those that may not be aware, we are currently in a time period on the Jewish calendar uh, called the, the uh, Three Weeks of Rebuke. Um, and these three weeks are a time period between the 17th of Tammuz, which occurred on uh, July 11th, uh, Sunday on the 10th going into the 11th, um, and, uh, and Tishba between the 17th of, of Tammuz and Tishba or the 9th of Av, which is coming up in, uh, on uh, sundown on uh, uh, July 31st uh, through August 1st. Um, the 17th of Tammuz and Tishba'av are very, very important uh, days. They're actually both fast days. Uh, the fast of Tammuz and the fast of Av, they're both fast days in which we fast in mourning for the things that have occurred to the Jewish people on these particular days. The 17th of Tammuz uh, is the beginning of a three-week period in which we read each Shabbat, Haftarot, that speak of rebuke against Israel for turning their back on God, but much like any of the prophecies we read in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, that deal with rebuke of Israel, they're actually not just a smack in the face, but it's God calling and beckoning Israel back into himself, beckoning Israel to reunify with him and to reconnect with him as their king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so uh, the 17th of Tammuz, for a historical reference of what it is and why we commemorate it, there's two things that occurred. One, uh, several things in particular, but two main things that occurred. First and foremost is when the Roman Empire destroyed the second temple uh, on Tisha B'Av uh, in, uh, in the year 70, Common Era, 70 AD, as most people would say it. Um, the, right before then, three weeks before then, on the 17th of Tammuz, the Roman Empire actually breached the walls of Jerusalem, and they destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. So the 17th of Tammuz was the beginning of the end of Jerusalem as we knew it. Um, so when we look at the 70 
uh, common era year in which the temple was destroyed, which is roughly 40 years after Messiah, uh, Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, what we see is that the temple's destroyed three weeks beforehand on 17th Tammuz. The walls of Jerusalem are breached, and the Roman Empire, or those of the nations, have now assaulted, attacked Israel, uh, and particularly Jerusalem, the city of God. Uh, the, the, the other thing historically, and, and I guess more traditionally, but we believe historically occurred on this day, and there are some, some things that kind of pointed out in Scripture that this is likely when it occurred, was the 17th of Tammuz, the original bad thing, if you would, the original horrible thing that occurred on the 17th of Tammuz, was anybody remember the, the story in the book of Exodus of Moshe Moses coming off of the mountain at the Lord's behest because Israel had built the golden calf and were doing their thing around the golden calf? And he comes down on the 17th of Tammuz is when he comes down off of the mountain and he destroys the tablets uh, that God carved and wrote on with his own hand. He breaks them on the ground uh, in front of the, the, the nation of Israel in anger at what they were doing and, and the fools they were making of themselves. So the 17th of Tammuz, that kind of became the beginning of all of the bad circumstances that occurred on the 17th of Tammuz. And those are the two most common, most famous things that we uh, deal with that we're in mourning for during the fast of Tammuz. Um, but there were a number of other things. I think it's a total of about 14 things historically that have occurred on the 17th of Tammuz. Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, uh, is similar. There's a bunch of things negative that occurred on this day. 9th of Av in, in kind of Jewish tradition as Americans, we think of uh, September 11th as like the worst day we could ever imagine. And those of us that remember it, those of us that were, were, were watching the news and such as these things were happening, um, this is really fervent in our minds. Like seven, September 11th, everybody goes, what could go wrong on September 11th this year, right? Tishbab is that day in Judaism. Tishbab is the, seven, the September 11th of Judaism. Almost every atrocity that's occurred to Israel occurred on Tishbab, on the 9th of Ab on the Hebrew calendar. The uh, 10 spies came back across the Jordan River to the wilderness to Israel with the, the evil report of the promised land and the nation of Israel rejected their inheritance of the promised land. Uh, that was the first negative that occurred on Tishbab. And then over and over again from there, both the first and second temple were destroyed on Tishbab. Of, of all of the calendar uh, year that exists, the odds that both temples being destroyed on the exact same day not having a purpose and a meaning. So both of the temples, the first and second temple, were destroyed on Tisha B'Av uh, uh, the same exact day. The Spanish Inquisition, uh, when all of the Jews had to be out of Spain, the day that that was enacted, that they had to leave Spain by, was Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av on the Hebrew calendar. Both of the, the expulsions of Jewish people from England that occurred uh, about 200 years apart, both expulsions of Jewish people from England occurred on Tisha B'Av. Uh, very key parts of the Holocaust occurred on Tishbab. Key parts of pogroms and such that happened in Eastern Europe occurred on Tishbab, and so on and so forth. There's just a slew of events. There have been bombings uh, of uh, Jewish community centers around the globe that have occurred on Tisha B'Av and things like this. Uh, it's just over and over and over again. A lot of Jewish people stay home from work on Tisha B'Av uh, because they just don't want to risk it. Like, you know, it's, it's a really bad day for us. We're just not willing to take that chance. So a lot of Jewish people stay home. They take a, a vacation day or sick day or whatever just to avoid being out. It's a fast day. It's a day of mourning. But it begins a seven-week cycle of readings from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 60 called the seven messages of Isaiah or the seven messages of consolation. And these seven messages are the Lord consoling Israel for the destruction of the temple, consoling Israel for, because throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Lord says, look, if you don't straighten up, 
I'm going to wipe all of this out. Like, I'm going to kick you out of here. I'm going to send you off to, to foreign lands. Um, and when it actually happens, we go, you know what? This happened because we messed up. So for seven weeks from Tishbaab through right before Rosh Hashanah, uh, right before the season, season of repentance and the 10 days of awe, we're reading about the Lord calling us to repentance in our Haftarah every single week. Um, and then we go, and, and I'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks uh, when we get to the seventh message of Isaiah, but we end up seeing that it was on Tish B'Av that Yeshua was immersed by Yochanan HaMabil, by John the Immerser, uh, and crossed into the wilderness on the same day that the spies crossed the Jordan back to the wilderness to bring an evil report. He crossed the Jordan after being immersed, crossed the Jordan to redeem the mistakes of Israel, to redeem the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness, the 40 days the spies spent in the land. Uh, and then he comes back over, and we can pinpoint it exactly when this happened, each of the responses he gives to the enemy in regards to the enemy's temptation in the wilderness came from the Torah parshot during that period of time, during that seven weeks, uh, which, by the way, had been established 500 years before this. Um, and then the Haftorah that he reads when he comes back to his home synagogue in Atzeret after being out in the wilderness for 40 days, he comes home and they open up the scroll. As you see here, we don't just kind of pick and choose where we go. We're finding a very specific passage for that week, and, and you got to work to find it and go through. Well, the Haftorah reading for that week was the exact Haftorah reading for the week at the closing of the seven messages or the week uh, where he proclaims, I've come to bring freedom uh, and so on. So he began his ministry with redemption, right? His ministry didn't begin... Uh, uh, after he, uh, when he stood in front of his home synagogue and read from Isaiah, his ministry actually began with the redemption of the 40 days and 40 years uh, of Israel in the wilderness and in the promised land with the spies. And so we see all of this kind of come together in this huge conglomerate of, uh, of concept and idea, and I think it's important that we grasp a hold to this as we look at it. So we just celebrated or mourned the 17th of Tammuz on the 10th and 11th of July, and we are coming up on in just a, a week and a half or so on the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. One of the things that are, are focused on during this period, this three weeks, is we focus on the Lord calling us back to himself. In particular, we focus on rebuke messages from the prophets in which the, the prophets of Israel that the Lord called out spoke rebuke against Israel for their, their, their way they treated the Lord, for the way they served the gods of the land of Canaan rather than the God of Israel and so on and so forth. But each one of these rebukes much like most of Isaiah, each one of these rebukes actually has a call for return, a call for teshuvah, a call for repentance, a call for restoration with the Lord. And so this is what I want to focus on uh, today as we look at the, the Haftarah parsha from Jeremiah 2, beginning with verse 4. Please uh, go ahead and open up your scriptures there. Jeremiah 2, chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. It says, Hear the word of Adonai, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says Adonai, What fault did your fathers find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They walked after worthless things, becoming worthless themselves. They did not ask, Where is Adonai who brought us up from the land of Egypt, and led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and rifts, through a land of drought and distress, through the land, a land where no one travels, where no one lives. Yet I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and goodness. When you came, you defiled my land. You made my heritage an abomination. The Kohanim, the priests, did not ask, where is Adonai? The Torah experts did not know me. The shepherds rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, by uh, the Baalim, the idols of the land, and went after unprofitable things. Therefore, I will plead with you again. 
It's, it is a declaration of Adonai. It will contend with your children's children, cross the coasts of Kittim and see, send to Kedar and observe carefully. See if there has been anything like this. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are not gods? Yet my people exchange their glory for worthless things. There's the glory of the Lord traveled with us. We exchanged our glory, the glory of the Lord for worthless things, for idols made by human hand. Verse 12, be appalled at this, O heavens. Be utterly horrified and dumbfounded is the declaration of Adonai. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they dug their own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water. This is a huge accusation. I want you to understand this. This is a major accusation in Jeremiah against Israel, against the acts of the nation of Israel, against the acts of the priesthood and those that are supposed to be the keepers of the Torah that instruct uh, Israel to honor the Torah, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to walk fervently with the Lord, to give him their all. Those that are supposed to be examples to Israel. It's a, a accusation against Israel herself for having willingly chose to serve the gods of the lands of, of Canaan rather than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through whom they found freedom in the promised land in the first place, through whom they came out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt in the first place, through whom they were carried through the wilderness safely and provided for miraculously in the wilderness. And they turn their back on the Lord. As a matter of fact, in our study on Tuesday nights, we're in the book of Judges right now. And if you read through the book of Judges, it's time after time after time after time. Israel is, is in peace. The judge dies. Israel returns back to their sinful ways. They return back to serving the gods of the lands around them. And then as soon as things get rough again, they cry out to the Lord for a savior to come and to protect them. And he sends a judge and brings in peace again. And for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years with Gideon, they have peace and everything's good and happy-go-lucky. And then that judge dies. The one that's leading them in righteousness dies. And immediately they return back to their old ways. They turn back to the ways of God. And, and as, as human nature is, as as Israel, our habit, and, and look, each of us can say, we, if we're honest with ourselves or anyone else, we'll say this is true about ourselves too. Israel, our habit is to blame God when things go south, right? When we look in Judges, what is it that they constantly say? Where are you, God? Why have you left us in this situation? Gideon's, uh, or the prophecy from an unnamed prophet right before Gideon pops on the scene. We talked about it in Judges 4 and 5, I think it was. Uh, before Gideon pops on the scene, there's an unnamed prophet that says, Hey, why are you saying, why is the Lord not with us when it's you that left him, not him that left you? You chose to serve after the gods of the lands around you. Why are you blaming him for this? And as humans, this is our nature. Things start to go rough. We start to have uh, uh, a pile of mess build up around us, and we blame God or we blame other people. And, and as Americans, it's probably easier than anywhere else in the world because we refuse to accept culpability for anything. Anything, we push it off on the next guy. Whatever we can do to get rid of it, right? Just look at politics. It shows us in a heartbeat that nobody takes culpability for anything. And here the Lord is calling out to Israel saying, what in the world is wrong with you? Look at the nations of the land. None of them exchange their gods for other people's gods. You don't have those that sell that worship the Baalim leave their gods to go find other gods from other people groups. It doesn't happen. Why have you taken the relationship I have given you, the, the provision I've given you, the, the blessing and the presence of my glory that I've given you and cast it aside as though it means nothing 
so that you can serve the gods of the idol, the, the idol gods of the people around you. Why have you forsaken me? And then at the end, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Tradition tells us that as Israel traveled through the wilderness, through the, the wilderness to Canaan, to the promised land, <clears throat> that there was a rock that followed them, the rock that Moses first struck, that followed them around the wilderness, continually giving them maim chaim, living water to drink. And this rock is, in, in Jewish tradition, it's a foreshadowing of Mashiach, of Messiah, the rock who brings forth living water, the rock of God in our times of trouble, the cornerstone of the, the foundation of the temple, and so on and so forth. This rock that followed Israel around has always been viewed in tradition as a coming uh, or foreshadowing, a pointing to Messiah. And as believers, we recognize Yeshua's sat down at the well with a Samaritan woman and explained to her exactly that. If you had simply asked me, I would have given you the waters of life that never run dry. He is that rock that we rejected coming out of the wilderness. He is that rock that, that we rejected that led us through the wilderness, provided provision and sustenance and support and living water so that we never go thirsty and never go dry in the wilderness, the worst possible place to be thirsty, the hardest place to find water. And he led us around the wilderness by a rock of his presence, providing Maim Chaim living waters that would never run dry. It's a pointing to Mashiach Yeshua. It's a pointing to Messiah as our rock in times of trouble is that living waters that will never run dry. And he says, we've made two, uh, two mistakes. We've committed two evils. We have forsaken the spring of living water. We've forsaken Adonai himself, who is the spring of living water. And we dug our own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water. We begin with, with the things of this earth, the things of this world, and we begin to buy into what other people are doing. And they have no real meaning. They have no real value because there's no connection to the Lord. There's no connection to our salvation. There's no connection to the promises of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we continue to build around this. Look, we as believers are as guilty as Israel was of this in the, uh, the days that we're reading about in, in Jeremiah here. We are as guilty of this as anyone because we are the ones that build theology upon theology upon theology that rarely have any real connection to the word of God. We are the ones that, that condemn Judaism because of traditions of Judaism, while at the same time, we build our own traditions that rarely have any connection to the Word of God. And we build all these things up, and they become idols for us, and we replace the presence of the Lord with man-made traditions and theology and ideas that have no connection to the Lord, and we live by them and condemn others by the same even though the reality is, is we rarely actually walk in the presence of the Lord of ourselves and these things that we shove down other people's throats and that we hold on to and cleave to as though they are the word of God itself has no connection to the Lord either. We like to look at Israel of old and we like to look even at the modern day Israel and our desire for, and by the way, if you haven't paid attention to the news, we're very close to some real things occurring in Israel right now. Uh, the, the, we, we, Israel has basically, uh, they haven't flat out said it yet or put it on paper, they've basically taken uh, 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 sole control of the Temple Mount again. And may it be by God's will, they never give it back again. I mean, I'm, I'm fully alert and aware to what that means prophetically, but may it never be given back again. The worst thing we ever did was after getting uh, Jerusalem back in 67 was handing over the Temple Mound again instead of holding on to control of it. And we've constantly been trying to placate those around us with no, no, no good availing from it, with nothing coming from it, just more attack after attack after attack, wanting more and more and more. By the way, that is an example of how the enemy destroys us. We give the enemy a little bit of ground. Just a little bit. Doesn't take much. Just a little bit of ground. 
And he wants more and more and more and more. And before long, we are worthless scum of the earth because we've chosen to reject the glory of the Lord that was at one point the preeminent existence in our lives. I said it earlier, I believe that at this time, at this moment, at this period in history, this particular year especially, as we approach the ten days of all, as we approach the season of the seven messages of consolation out of Isaiah, as we are dealing with in the midst of these messages of rebuke, three messages of rebuke uh, during between 17th of Tammuz and 9th of Av, it is more important now than ever that we truly, as believers in Messiah Yeshua, that we truly rededicate our lives to the Lord, that we give Him our all and we recognize who He is, or else we be, we be guilty of doing the same thing that Israel did, that we're reading about here. As we look through Jeremiah, if you go to verse, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse uh, 20, the Lord says, Indeed, long ago I broke your yoke and tore off your bonds. He freed us from slavery in Egypt. Very literally freed us from slavery in Egypt. You and I, as believers, if you believe in the promised blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua, having been poured out for your sins, you have been freed from the yoke of the enemy when you accepted Messiah Yeshua. Yet, you said, and we said, and Israel says, I will not serve. Instead, on every high hill and under every green tree, you sprawled out as prostitutes, yet I had planted you as choice vine from completely faithful seeds. How then did you become to me a wandering wild vine? This isn't just a condemnation of Israel pre, pre the Babylonian captivity. This is a condemnation of the body of Messiah as well because we are as guilty as Israel was pre-Babylonian captivity. Heck, the body of Messiah as a whole has completely written off Judaism. The root and the fatness of who we are as believers is found in the Jewish tradition and the Jewish faith. It's found in the Abrahamic realities of where we come from. And we write it off and say, no, no, God's done with all those people. He's done with Israel and all he cares about now is the church. Israel doesn't matter anymore. All those blessings are now ours. Well, you know, all of those blessings were connected with a lifestyle that we as believers tend to reject and replaced with other theological and traditional practicalities that are often not connected to the Word of God. We go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 is a special, uh, it's actually the Haftarah officially for Parsha Matot, but it's uh, during years when Matot Masay are a, a double Parsha. Uh, Jeremiah 1 is actually read uh, with Parsha Pinchas traditionally at the, that's the first of the three messages of rebuke after the 17th of Tammuz. But in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, many are very well familiar with this verse. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you prophet to the nations. This is spoken to Jeremiah, who who was raised in a, a Kohenic family. He was raised to be a priest. God calls him to be a prophet, to condemn Israel, to write off everything and everyone he ever knew and give up everything to speak the word of the Lord at all costs. And he tells Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in the womb. I knew you, or I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. I want you to understand something. Notice his prophet to the nations, not prophet to the nation, not prophet just to Israel, but to the nations. Why does he say to the nations? Because this word is being read by every believer the world over. The same of the nations, both Jew and Gentile alike, that we were promised through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
And that comes through Messiah Yeshua, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Adam, who brought about salvation for the world. You and I are sitting here today looking at this passage, and we have to understand that these are not words just spoken to Jeremiah. These are not words just put on an anti-abortion sign. These are words for you and I. Even in the midst of our sinful nature, even in the midst of our rejecting our relationship with the glory of God, even in the midst of us walking in the wrong direction away from our relationship with the Lord. The Lord is proclaiming these words. I knew you. I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I have set you apart. I have set you apart to carry my word to the nations. You and I aren't here by circumstance or happenstance or anything else. We are here because the Lord, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the Jacob, the one true and only God of Israel, the God of all creation, called us before we were ever born, before the breath of life was ever breathed into us, that we may be used by him for his glory. You and I simply be sitting here right now because we have chosen that calling. And it's important that we recognize that our salvation, our salvation, and I hate when we talk about we are saved theologically, scripturally, we aren't actually saved till we're there. Until we're sitting at the feet of the Father for all eternity, we're not saved. We're in a salvational process. We're in a perfecting process. But you know what? We're not actually saved till we're sitting at his feet. In the meantime, we are being conformed to his will and his ways and the image of Messiah. And if you're not being conformed to his image and his ways and the image of Messiah, you need to rethink your faith. You need to fall on your knees and your face before him and let him begin to do a new and fresh work in your life because the Lord knew you before you were in the womb. He formed you in the womb. He knew you before you were born. He set you apart for his purposes, not for yours, not for the enemies, not for anyone else, for his purposes. The question is, are you willing to walk in it? We go to 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 says, and I love this passage, I use it quite often, but 1 Peter 2.9 says, and he's quoting here from, uh, from Exodus, uh, when, when God says this in Exodus, I think it's 19, or, uh, over Israel. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Notice, not the possession of the enemy, not the possession of demonic forces, not the possession of things of this world, not the possession of the sicknesses we may be dealing with, not possession of the consequences of our sins that we may be dealing with, not possession of any man or any nation or any state or anything else. We are the possession of the Lord God Almighty, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. You got to understand this. I don't care how bad life is. If you are not standing boldly proclaiming the praises of the Lord God Almighty who gave you salvation, you are rejecting the words of this truth. I don't care how bad things are. Look, Life's not great. I'm no longer working for the Messianic Times. I lost my job uh, and what have you. I'm in between jobs. I'm starting a new job. Things are rolling. Uh, we've got things happening here at the synagogue. I'm about to start classes to work on my master's degree. I've got this happening and that happening. And we're homeschooling the kids and, and this thing and that thing. It's one thing after another. But you know what? No matter how tough any of that gets and no matter how rough things start to go, my responsibility is not to wallow in what's happening before my eyes. My responsibility is to praise the Lord before all men no matter what. My responsibility is to praise the Lord no matter what. I have been, uh, I am part of a chosen people. I am part of a royal priesthood. I am part of a holy nation. I am part of a people for God's own possession so that I may proclaim the praises of the one who called me 
out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Look at how dark the world is. Guess what? The light's within you. If you can't see the darkness, you simply need to look within. Because the light is, I mean, if you can't see the light because of the darkness, you need to simply look within. I hope that when you look within, you don't see darkness. That would be bad. We really need to pray. Um, I want you to understand as we're dealing, this time period in, in Jewish tradition, this time period is a sorrowful, mourning period of time. But I want you to understand, we are a part of Judaism as a Messianic Jewish synagogue. We are a part of Judaism. And we take part in the mourning of the things that have occurred because of our sins as a people. And individually, we should also take time during this period to mourn things that have occurred because of our own sins individually. But let us not wallow in the morning. Let us recognize that joy comes in the morning. Let us recognize that we have been given an opportunity to praise him even in this storm. Whatever it may be, we have been given opportunity, we have been given the power, we have been given the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh that we can find shalom, shalom, we can find perfect peace, that we can find the opportunity, the time, the ability, the willingness to praise God even in the midst of a storm. The question is, are you willing to give God your all? Or are you going to wallow in the morning? James 4 verse 1 says, where do quarrels and conflicts, we read this in our Torah service, where do quarrels and conflicts among you come from? Don't they come from this, namely your passions that battle within your body parts? You crave and have not, you murder and you envy, yet you cannot get it. You fight and you wage war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so you may spend it on your passions. You want the presence of God in your life. You want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to see signs and wonders of the Spirit of God flow through your life. It better not be for your passions, your desires, and your purposes. It better be for that of the kingdom of God. It better be for that of others to find the presence of the Lord. Because you and I have been set apart to be a prophet to the nations. A prophet speaks the word of the Lord. A prophet says, thus says the word of the Lord. A prophet calls people to repentance. A prophet doesn't simply foretell or future tell or speak of things to come. A prophet calls people to repentance you better want to see it happen for god's purposes for the kingdom of god and not for your own passions verse 4 you adulteresses don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of god or a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god we're not called to be like the world we're called to be set apart we're called to be an example to the world that doesn't mean we write off the world we just don't partake in worldly activities and lifestyles we partake in godliness or do you think that in vain the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit which he made to dwell in us but he gives greater grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore submit to god but resist the devil and flee, uh, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of Adonai, and he will lift you up. When things seem like they are at the bottom of the bottom and there's no hope for tomorrow, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
dwelling in the circumstances of our consequences of sin, dwelling in the pain and the anguish of this world, dwelling in idolatry, dwelling in the ways of the world around us is not humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will not lift us up. But when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, when we are willing to give him our all, when we are willing to recognize that it is our duty, as we say in the Elenu, it is our duty to praise the Lord. When we recognize what we have been created for, recreated for, and then filled with the Ruach HaKodesh for, is to praise the Lord no matter what. Things change. Our countenance changes. And the ironic uh, blessing in the, the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing, we say, may the Lord's face shine upon you. May his countenance be upon you. If his countenance, if his face, if the radiant glory of Adonai is a part of your life, then you cleave to that. You don't cleave to what's going on around you. We humble ourselves in his presence. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift us up. So I want to encourage you right now and as we move forward in preparation for the season of repentance coming up, I want to encourage you. Now is the time. There is no better hour than right now and no better season than the one we're in to recognize that each and every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I guarantee just on the way here, we likely committed a sin of some sort or another. All right? And anybody that came in the door talking about how bad traffic was, I'm willing to bet I can name a few of them you committed on the way here. All right? Just being honest and truthful because I've been there. But it doesn't matter. None of that matters. We've got to set it all aside. I want to encourage you, forget about all of that. Don't worry about the consequences. Look, we may be forgiven of sin, but there's still earthly consequences to sin. Don't worry about the consequences. Set it aside. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Give him opportunity to not only fill you, but to restore you and to renew you, to refuel you. I just worked on Daniel's laptop and put in a new uh, solid-state drive and uh, boosted a RAM some and, and things like this. And uh, one of the things you have to do with a, a hard drive before you can uh, run off of it is you've got to reformat the hard drive. And, and even though it's a brand new hard drive and there's nothing on it, you have to actually erase the hard drive first before you can format the hard drive for what you're trying to do, right? You and I are believers in Messiah. And if you're not, I pray to the Lord God that you find his love today. But as believers, before we became believers and followers of Yeshua, our Messiah, we had to allow him to reformat our hard drive. We had to allow him to completely erase all of the things of this world, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our sorrows, all of our brokenness, all of the pain and the anguish and the suffering that we've ever experienced so that he can reformat us in his ways, so that he can reformat us with his operating system so that we can be used by him because he wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use us as a community. He wants to use the body of Messiah. We are in the time and the days now where it's more important than ever that we willingly let the Lord use us for his will and his purposes. Because look, things are only speeding up. They're not slowing down. Just look at what's going on with the Temple Mount right now. Things are only speeding up. Yeshua said when Jerusalem is reunified, when it's reestablished, the time of the Gentiles will draw to a close. And I believe that's in reference to the Gentile church that believes it has replaced Israel. 
And since then, Messianic Judaism, and that happened, by the way, in 1967 with the Six-Day War and the reunification of Jerusalem. And since then, the body of Messiah as a whole, particularly the, the, the church as a whole, has lost its influence and impact on the world, and it's just steadily dropped and declined. But Messianic Judaism and believers in churches who have a yearning for the Jewish roots of the faith are seeing an incline, an impact, are seeing growth, are seeing spiritual things occur, are seeing a revival of the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh and the glory of the Lord like has never been experienced before. Jewish people are coming to faith by the truckloads. The question is, do you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing? He's called you. He has formed you in the womb. He knew you before you were born and set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Are you willing to let the Lord work through you for his purposes and to recognize that when we humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. doesn't matter how bad things look, he will lift you up. Finances come and go. Sickness comes and goes. Jobs come and go. Pain and anguish come and go. Family conflicts come and go. Home life problems come and go. But the one thing that stays steady is that rock that provides living water. Yeshua, our Messiah, providing the water that will never run dry. It's time that we open our arms, we open our mouths, and we fully become immersed in his living waters. Every breath we breathe, every word we speak, every thought we have, every step we take, fully immersed in the Mayim Chaim, the living waters that will never run dry. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you. We adore you, Father. I thank you that your word can bring both condemnation and repentance. That your word can bring both accusation and restoration. Father, I thank you that you desire nothing more than to recreate us to be set apart as you had originally desired us to be. Father, I thank you that you gave us your Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, your only begotten Son that we may have eternal life in your midst. Father, I thank you that you love us in spite of who we have become sometimes and that in spite of who we've become, you are constantly drawing us back unto you. Father, have your way in our lives. I pray your shalom, shalom, your perfect peace come over each and every person hearing these words right now. Father, I pray your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, overcome each and every person hearing these words right now. Lord, that your spirit will be the driving force of our reality, that your spirit, your presence, the divine glory will lead our every step, that your mind, Chaim, that the rock of our living, uh, the rock of our, uh, in our time of troubles will constantly be what we cleave to and hold to and, uh, and, and rest upon knowing that you are in control. And that nothing the enemy has planned for our lives could ever overcome what you have planned for our lives when we humble ourselves in your sight. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.